Welcome to the Firestarter Podcast. People, ideas, and conversations that move us forward. I'm your host, Willa Kammerer, and it's my passion, my purpose, and my business to make the world a better place through storytelling, which is why we're here today. We'll talk to mission-driven entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and investors, thought leaders, researchers, and experts on the front lines of the world's most pressing issues about designing and thriving in careers of impact. My guest today is Michael Hennessy, the innovative CEO of Wavelength Lighting, who is seeking to address the carbon footprint of buildings in New York City. After discovering that 20% of a building's carbon footprint is used for lighting, he knew he could make a number of small yet effective changes to reduce that energy consumption by 90%. Not only that, he knew he could lower the cost of LED lighting and make it more enjoyable for the eyes, all while cultivating a lighting as a service platform. Prior to Wavelength, Michael worked as an analyst and investor in clean energy finance, at firms such as Bloomberg and Weiss Multi-Strategy Advisors. His passion for clean energy was sparked right after college, and he has been laser-focused ever since. In today's conversation, we discuss the history of lighting, unexpected pathways that can lead to entrepreneurial endeavors, and the nuts and bolts and challenges and opportunities of running a business, as well as our shared alma mater, a place we both love, Middlebury College. I'm so excited to bring you this conversation with Michael and hope that it inspires the reluctant entrepreneur in all of you. Hi, Michael. Welcome to the show. So thrilled to have you here. Hi. Glad to be here. Thank you. So our connection traces back to Middlebury College. Uh, We were on campus at the same time, but uh, we didn't know each other. But you definitely look familiar, which is a pretty common Middlebury thing. Um, And we were connected by our mutual friend, Chris Cadwell, who's also your business partner. Um, So that's... uh, enabled us to be here and have this conversation today. So welcome. Yeah, thank you. So um, yeah, at, at Middlebury, I spent a uh, considerable amount of time at the snowball, the, the ski area, um, probably more than was academically uh, healthy. But I'm 90% sure that I met you there at some stage. So I think, yes, uh, n- nice to see you again. Definitely. Well, I was on ski patrol, so there's no way we didn't cross paths. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so you're the founder and CEO of Wavelength Lighting based in Brooklyn. Um, can you give our listeners a little elevator pitch about what Wavelength Lighting does? Of course. Uh, so Wavelength Lighting develops and implements energy efficient lighting and lighting controls projects. Um, we focus on uh, commercial interiors in New York City. We uh, appro- approach the industry in two different ways. One, we work with existing facilities, so facilities that are, that are operating, offices, schools, that kind of thing, and we'll retrofit their system to energy-efficient LED lighting. And then the second thing that we do is we'll work with somebody who is building out a space, either in a new construction environment or a refit kind of environment where they're doing a lot of things to the space, not just lighting, and we will be um, the entity that designs an ultra-efficient lighting system and, and brings it to bear for them. Um, what makes us unique, uh, as it were, in the lighting industry here in New York is that we bring a number of lighting competencies that are typically siloed into different organizations into one organization. So those would include lighting design, equipment distribution, electrical work. Um, those are some examples of things that would typically be done by multiple parties, but we do it as one. Um, we focus only on lighting, so we're not uh, pulled in a lot of different directions in terms of the technologies that we work with. And, and that, that makes us more efficient, more cost-effective, um, able to deliver systems more quickly than, than most others out there. Yeah, very cool. So, you know, I'm curious about how, it, how all this started. You studied economics and French in college. You know, walk us through your pathway after graduation and how your interests and in knowledge, you know, about LED lighting really started. Yeah, I came out of Middlebury without um, a, an ultra clear uh, vision of what I wanted to do. I took a, a fairly um, uh, non-specific uh, finance job in New York City out of college, and um, but very quickly, once 
out of school and into the professional world, very quickly realized that clean energy was extremely interesting to me, um, very much wanted to be in that. And um, as, as, as quickly as I could, left left my the, my first job there into, into something that was clean energy focused. I went to work for a bank, um, basically educating investors on clean energy companies and uh, the clean energy space. Um, enjoyed enjoyed that thoroughly learned for a few years the recession hit in in 08 and 09 i lost my job uh, as as many of my colleagues did uh, took a year off when i came back i went to a uh, research shop that was in within bloomberg that that focused on clean energy so i basically taken the time after that uh, big bank job to, to think of something that was maybe a little more concretely involved in clean energy and so i was writing wind analysis, wind, wind industry analysis for this company called Bloomberg New Energy Finance. Also a great, a great place. But as I was sitting there, I was thinking, okay, this is still very um, like uh, removed from actually doing anything. I was, I was very much an observer in the industry that I wanted to support. And uh, having worked with investors in the past, I thought, you know what, that's where, that's where it's really at. If I, could, if I could only work for an investor that invested in clean energy companies then I'd be doing doing the thing, not just watching the thing. I would be making capital allocation decisions that would affect um, companies' growth or um, other things that would really like make it make an impact on on the climate challenge. And so, um, somebody I knew was working for a hedge fund on a clean energy portfolio. He hired me, and I and I went to work for him for a few years. And and again, I think for me that that expanded my horizons. Um, it did feel more and more um, closely involved with somebody with, with a role that was actually doing something for the climate challenge. But, but even there, even as an investor, you, you really do feel removed because you, you really are. I mean, you're, you're allocating capital. It's all very on paper. There's nothing physical about it. And when I was there, looking at a bunch of different clean energy and resource efficiency companies from an investor perspective, I, I narrowed in on lighting as something that was um, totally unappreciated as compared to the things that people typically associate with clean energy, wind power, solar power, biofuels, electric vehicles. Um, and so I felt like it was, it was underappreciated and I couldn't as an investor figure out why it wasn't happening faster. So like, you know, as an investor, I'm looking at these companies that make led components and they're not doing very well. And I'm looking at, at, at the, at what an led light is and how, how it makes sense to put it in and why it works and what the return on investment is for a light and all this kind of thing and thinking, man, this is, this makes so much sense. I don't, I just couldn't figure out why it wasn't moving more quickly. Um, and so that kind of planted the seed in me that, that this was maybe something I would need to figure out one way or another. Um, and then, and, and then ultimately decided that I didn't particularly enjoy, um, the hedge fund world. It's got its own thing going on, but, but, but again, I just arrived at the conclusion that I wasn't really doing anything um, for the for the climate challenge, which is what I had started out uh, trying to do. So left the hedge fund and got into the lighting business, which is a which is a whole different um, a whole different thing. But so that's that's where it all started. Yeah. Well, so many follow up thoughts and questions with that. Um, you know, the lighting industry is definitely not new. You know, it's been around for more than a hundred years. You know what? what were some like challenges and opportunities that you saw with that? Because it is, isn't this like new, newer industry, like wind power or solar? Yeah. I, I think that, I think the biggest, yeah. So the first thing that comes to mind is the fact that it's such an old industry. It's something that people already have. And so there, there isn't the same, um, a term that you'll see in, in energy or I, I don't know, I think a lot of industries is like greenfield um, scope. So you, in, in, when solar power came around, everything was very like greenfield in the sense that there wasn't an existing um, format for how solar power would be bought and sold or uh, installed or anything like that. It was all it, all very new, and, and people who were involved in it on all sides were open to new things. Whereas lighting pre-exists for everybody; it pre-exists for suppliers, it pre-exists for consumers, and so that makes transition a little more difficult. Um, we've ultimately found it in that suppliers that have been supplying conventional lighting for 50 years aren't well equipped to immediately pivot over to a completely different technology. People that have been consuming lighting. So in our, in our instance, office buildings, schools, um, entertainment venues, things like that, they, they've been consuming lighting in one way. And so for them to completely change um, their thinking 
on lighting from conventional lighting to LEDs or from lighting as a consumable, which it typically is because you have these lights that are constantly going out and you're just constantly consuming them to sort of a capital asset, which is something that might last in your space for five, 10, 15 years. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's like, if that's answering your question. I mean, that's, that's what I yeah. see as the, as the biggest challenge in terms of like lighting versus some of these other clean energies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you were kind of touching on it. Let's dig into kind of some of the kind of nuts and bolts, you know, advantages, advantages of LED lighting. You know, I came across a few in my, you know, preparation for today that mm -hmm. LED lighting can reduce your energy consumption by up to 90%, um, can deliver a 400% ROI, um, and just the low maintenance that you, that you mentioned, just, it seems like there's so much that they are, you know, something that stick around for a lot longer than conventional lighting. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's an incredible technology. So, um, a quick, a quick lighting history lesson, the electric lighting, um, turn of the 20th century became a thing and you had a wire that we call a filament inside of a bulb and you run electricity through that wire to the point that the wire gets so hot that it glows. And so as you can hear from that, lighting is, is a byproduct of, of heat in that instance. So if you have a 60 watt light bulb in your house right now, um, about two watts of that 60 end up being light and about 58 become heat. So you've got these little heaters that are also incidentally producing light and that's extremely inefficient. And then, so between 1900 and maybe 1980, there were some iterations. Okay, now there's fluorescent lighting, which is a lot of what we have in schools and offices today, which is um, a little more efficient. Maybe 10% maybe of the energy that you put into a fluorescent light becomes actual light, as opposed to maybe it was like two, three, four, five with that filament. LEDs now, the most efficient of them, they'll convert about 25% of the electricity that you run through them uh, into, into light. It's basically a solar panel in reverse. The, the technology is, is semiconductor technology, which I won't get too deep into, but basically you, you can convert electrons into, into, into photons, into light, which is the reverse of what a solar panel does. Um, and it, it makes the system highly reliable, like you, like you referenced. So these things can last 50 or 100,000 operating hours, which translated into terms people would understand is, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 years um, or longer, which is, again, very different from a conventional light bulb that might last for 2,000 hours instead of 100,000 hours. So um, they last a super long time um, and they're extremely efficient and, and they're well understood now. So when, when I started this company, LEDs were not something everybody understood, but now they're well understood. There are a ton of them produced globally. So um, they're a very reliable technology now. And, uh, you know, they're definitely where things are going. And it's a question of how quickly we can transition. Um, and that's what my focus is. Yeah. So, you know, did you set out to be an entrepreneur and start your own company? You know, where did where did this <laughs> spark come from? No, I didn't. I would, I, I would classify myself uh, on the reluctant side of the entrepreneurial spectrum. Um, no, it's not something I envisioned at school. It's not something I envisioned in my early clean energy career. It's really not something I envisioned until it was happening. Um, I, I just, the, the more focused I got on light, lighting, the more that I understood what was going on, the more I understood why uh, change wasn't happening as quickly as you might expect naturally from such a compelling technology, the more I realized that there was, uh, the, there was a, a place, a business model that was not being r really run at all. And that I was somewhat uniquely suited to, um, to execute on. So, you know, basically decided that I would just do it myself. And that's, so that's where it ended up. Um, you know, I've been running this company for a number of years, years now, about eight. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I love the work, but in terms of uh, entrepreneurialism, I don't, you know, I, I don't recommend it. It's, it's, uh, it's highly, it's highly stressful. Um, I mean, highly rewarding too, but, um, yeah, I think, I think it's something that, that I do because I, I really am, I'm compelled by the work. Um, and I, yeah, I wouldn't otherwise. Well, it makes two of us. I definitely, you know, didn't set out to be, you know, a business owner and entrepreneur myself, you know, it was, it definitely wasn't really kind of on the, on my radar, you know, during college, after college, you know, as an option, but it just, I kept trying to do the things that I wanted to do and being self-employed was the framework that I could do those things in. So here we are 
more than a decade later. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, so on a personal level, you know, you talk about like this is you're an entrepreneur, you're running this company because you know you you have this drive to make a difference, you know, make an impact on the climate challenge, and you know, on a personal level, what drives your your passion for sustainability? Yeah, just that that the the climate challenge is huge, um, and 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 very serious. Uh, you know, don't don't want to sound preachy, but it you know all, all of the things that that are out there that are fascinating the economic the economic realities of things, politics, even even culture. I mean, it's it's all fascinating, but it all operates on the backdrop of a healthy physical system, and so without that system. Um, which, to the best of my understanding, is is quite fragile uh, in general and at the moment. Without that system, nothing else really matters. And so, um, I, yeah, just it just seems like a, a huge, huge challenge. I mean, the big, the the biggest trick for me is almost not thinking about how big of a challenge it is because I need to stay focused on what I can control. But um, yeah, I find I find the whole thing to be highly motivating in the sense that success in sustainability is, you know, it matters more than anything. And so being able to contribute to that is important. Yeah, definitely. Agreed. <laughs> um, you know, so I think, you know, you alluded to some of the challenges of running a company, being an entrepreneur, you know, I think there's kind of this mystique around entrepreneurship and startups and um, just this kind of sense that, you know, okay, I'm going to start a company and it just like pops out of a box and is fully operational, <laughs> you know, like what were, you know, you've been at this, you know, eight plus years, you know, what were the early, you know, days, weeks, months, years like, you know, as you were kind of getting this off the ground and going? Yeah, uh, fun, a grind. Um, I think, I think it's, I think a grind is probably the way a lot of entrepreneurs would describe early days. You know, I would just in, in in the interest of distinguishing my experience of, from others. You know, I, I never uh, I never venture funded the company. It's been bootstrapped from the beginning, um, which which mean which is you know good in the sense that I don't answer to investors, but bad in the sense that I don't have just disposable capital to grow incredibly rapidly. So it's more I, I think I think wavelength is more small business than it is startup. Um, but and so that means that things build on themselves very slowly and you have to kind of wait for that compounding growth to, to feel like something. So the early days were, well, so first of all, the LED technology wasn't, wasn't even, even then, which isn't that long ago where it is now. So back when I started the company, LED products were suitable for replacing those filament light bulbs we were talking about earlier. And so that's, that those are in endpoints like retail stores. Um, it not really office lighting wasn't even really addressable at the time. And so what I started doing was walking around the streets of, of Brooklyn, walking around the streets of New York um, and walking into retail and trying to talk to business owners about, about, about lighting, about LEDs, telling them what an LED was, telling them what I was trying to do at the, at the time, my, uh, the, one of the solutions that I was offering was, a, was a financed lighting solution. So I would basically go into these places and say, Hey, for no, for a no upfront cost, we will um, get you some LED lights, and then you'll sit, you're, you'll save hundred dollars a month on your utility bill, and you'll pay us fifty dollars a month or something like that. Um, and if they were if they were good with it, I would order some lights. I would call a friend of mine. We would go over, climb up the ladder, uh, change the lights, and I you know that was at least eighteen months of wavelength was physical. I was doing the physical installation um, along with whatever whoever I could wrangle, and so then it was you know. It all started with coffee shops and independent retail, and that became mid-sized retail, and that became small office, and then larger office, and then the technology was coming along, uh, you know, in parallel with with our expansion was okay. Now there were light there were lights that you could deploy in offices, you know, that you could re you could replace a fluorescent light that you might find in an office now with an LED. That was sort of four or five years into the company's life, and then um, you know now we work with city's big universities. And, um, we did a lighting, lighting project at, at the Barclays center, which is a large sort of multi-use, um, arena here in Brooklyn. And, um, you know, there's still a basically infinite amount of work to do, but, um, yeah, we've come a long way from 
me changing lights in a coffee shop. Although I will say there are a few coffee shops that still have my original lights in them. And I will, I will often go back and just uh, appreciate that they're still there. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Just, I love that. Um, yeah. I mean, running down, you know, your client list, the companies uh, that you've worked with, it's, it's definitely, you have evolved a long way from those early days with the ladder, you know, um, Barclays, as you said, Kenneth Cole, Etsy, Warby Parker, Blackstone, just to name a few, um, you know, and so you're really on the front lines of talking to businesses and hearing what they're, you know, saying about sustainability and their interest in that. But I think also, you know, wanting to generate larger profit margins um, through the efficiency of LEDs. Um, I'd love to hear just, you know, some of the things that you're hearing from your clients and customers and also, you know, what some of the, you know, projects and, and results are. Sure. So, so what you, what you mean, uh, what by what we're hearing from customers, like, on, yeah, uh, yeah. Like what, what, what they're, you know, like the pressures that they're facing as a, as a business, you know, like, okay, we need to, we need to become more sustainable, but maybe they're also, you know, looking to improve their, their profits as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that, I, I mean, that's yeah re- relevant question. I think the last 12 months have been like really revolutionary for the sustainability thing. So again, I've been doing this for a while and for a long time, it was purely that financial return element, which is really compelling or um, improving the operational efficiency of your facility, which is really compelling, but sustainability didn't enter into it. So, you know, we, we have these proposals that have uh, various elements, some information about lighting, some information about savings. And then the, we have this sustainability sheet that sort of sits at the end of the proposal that we've always put in there because it's something we care about, but we put it at the end because nobody else cares about it. But now people care about it. I mean, some of those names you you mentioned, again, just in the last 12 months, it's all of a sudden the ESG team now has real agency within the organization. So, we, which which we think is just awesome. Um, there There are now real demands for companies to understand what their, what their energy footprint is. They want to understand where the materials are coming from, what the manufacturing practices are of those materials. They want to understand that, that everything is being done in a, in a way that is conscious, um, which is, which is super different. And honestly, for, for something like lighting, we're finding the integration to be pretty smooth um, the appearance of ESG personnel in the, in the meetings that we have has been has been great because we you know we think those those people are just they give they give support to initiatives that um, reduce waste and reduce energy consumption and improve the quality of the interior for the employees of the students or whoever which is something that lighting will do so um, yeah I think it's I mean it's it's motivating um, and I. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it stick. Yeah. I mean, where do you, where do you think that shift is coming from? You know, is it COVID and everyone, you know, kind of changing routines? Is it just a growing, you know, new, new administration growing, you know, um, awareness about the climate, you know, issues or. I, I think, I think the last thing, honestly, I think it's, I think it's like, finally, it's a finally kind of a thing. Like it's a finally, um, collective understanding of how serious the climate issue is. Um, and that, you know, you mentioned administration and, and I think we're all pretty hopeful that the current administration who's already super focused on climate in a way that the previous one wasn't, um, will help. But, but a lot of this, I think a lot of this ESG growth happened during the last administration, despite of the last administration. Um, and so, you know, honestly, I think part of it is also, um, there's been a fairly protracted period of economic growth in this country and um, has, has given uh, companies the leeway to think about, about these ESG initiatives and to take them seriously. Um, now that, now that the seriousness of, of them is well understood. And yeah, I, I think the, the way what we're seeing from our clients is like these ESG teams are, are really weaving social and, and environmental and governance practices deep into the DNA of these companies, the way that every little thing works. And so hopefully that even if economic conditions change or administrations change or whatever, that um, it'll be pretty deeply embedded in such a way that, that it continues. 
Well, that's great to hear. And it's, you know, it's just cool how you've been kind of hammering at this thing, you know, over years and that kind of finally the, you know, ESG practices and, you know, the way businesses, companies are thinking about this are kind of catching up to what you've been doing all along. So kudos to you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Uh, Yeah, I mean, yeah, like... I don't know. Light, lighting is an interesting one because it has it has made economic sense for so long, and so that's um, that's why I've always thought it's 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 a compelling way to get people to reduce the amount of energy they consume is because it makes such good financial sense. And there are some other ESG initiatives that are equally important, equally valid, and don't have an economic return. So I think um, it's just good to see that like the whole tide of ESG rising. Um, but we're we're certainly involved and certainly happy to see it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, you mentioned before that, like, in past years, you know, your your clients were more focused kind of on the improving profit and, you know, the kind of cost savings part of things. You know, can you can you talk about that aspect as well? You know, just like what what are those savings? Sure. Yeah. So I, when we do an LED project, we're, we're, we typically will reduce the energy consumed by the lighting between 60 and 80%, you know, a lot depends on what kind of lighting they have currently. The, the, the more inefficient it begins, the, the more efficiency we drive. But in any case, we'll, we reduce the lighting energy consumption by over half. Um, and that does, that it, and all, almost all of our work is done in New York City, which has a very high cost of electricity. So um, that also really supports return on investment because if you're spending a ton on electricity, like everybody does in New York city, being able to save electricity is really compelling from a financial perspective. So, um, so yeah, these systems will pay themselves back in typically less than three years. And if they last for, um, somewhere between seven and 10 years, then your return on investment is, um, at least 200%, sometimes 300, 400%. Um, and, and yeah, that's, that's highly compelling. It's interesting for the people that we deal with, um, it, life in New York City for a business is very expensive. Life in New York City for a university is very expensive. They have all, the, the, the costs of these entities are are huge when you think about their rent or their people, things like that. So actually, utility costs are a very small part of an economic picture for, say, a financial institution or, or a law firm or whoever. Um, so what we're actually saving them is not necessarily material on the for their their broader financial picture. It just, the, the, the financial return helps um, facilities managers or um, energy managers. It helps them convince the entity to do the project. Um, typically, the people we work with want to do the project for other reasons. Like they, they want the lights not to be going out anymore because that's a pain. Um, and when you do an LED project, lights aren't going out anymore. If you had 100 lights go out before, you have one light going out now. So um, the operational reliability improves dramatically and people really like that the light quality also improves you know the 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 fluorescent lighting we've mentioned a couple times already um it's really unattractive nobody likes fluorescent lighting hurts your eyes makes you look not great um and so when you introduce led lighting the light quality improves and so it's it's these things that people are after and then the fact that it pays for itself and then some makes the makes the whole transaction palatable with with finance folks and so the fact that we're continuing to deal with people that, that manage these buildings. Um, and we still have, you know, we're still able to bring to bear, bring to bear the things they're interested in. We're still able to bring to bear the things that the financial people are interested in. And now the ESG people are also in the room pushing for it. Um, you know, we'll hopefully catalyze, you know, continued, um, pace of change here in New York and and elsewhere. Win, win, win. (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know, from where you sit, what, what do you see as, you know, the power and also the responsibilities, uh, the responsibility of businesses to really take the lead, you know, on, on the climate, you know, climate issues and, and, you know, environmental issues more broadly. It's, they have huge responsibility, huge responsibility. I mean, it, it, they, yeah, because businesses control a, a lot in the way of assets, both um, physical assets and financial assets, and the way that they manage those things matters. Um, matters a ton. The built environment consumes a lot of a lot of energy, and so if you're a business that has 
some control over that energy consumption, you you are accountable for that, you know, in the in the broader sustainability context. I think be, being in being on the business side of it, I feel um, very grateful, honestly, for the other portions of it. So um, I, I would I, I sort of think about the the three main elements of sort of sustainability responsibility being businesses like we're talking about, and then and then government and then activism. Um, and I sort of feel like activism drives policy and then policy often drives business. A lot of the people I deal with on the business side, they are, um, they're very responsive to, to policy, meaning they're not really proactive around getting way ahead of, of what the policy is indicating. But, you know, in New York city, for example, um, there's a, there's a, there's a law that's been passed called local law 97, which, um, sets very strict emissions reductions targets for the city over a period of time. And, 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 and that is starting to guide the conversation, um, with people that I deal with on what they, what they think they need to do with their facilities over time. And so it's, it's incumbent on, on businesses to, to push and to make these things happen. Um, but yeah, the reality is they are responsive to policy, which is responsive to activism. So I, I, I felt like for my career, this is where, this is where I'm suited, but, um, you know, I can, I can see the work of like a lot of these, a lot of people that you probably knew at Middlebury as well, that, that I, that I knew that were working at 350.org and these other incredible organizations. Um, it all, it filters through and, 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 um, so as much as I'd like to think that businesses will sort of lead the way into the future, the reality is they, they, they are responsive to, to policy framework and, um, that lighting is included in that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's, you know, I think it's all about finding like the kind of the authentic, authentic way for you to kind of plug into what you care about. And, you know, I, I realized at a, you know, certain point at Middlebury as much as, you know, I, I care, I wanted to do something that made a difference. And I realized that, you know, kind of activism and being out there just wasn't something that was kind of like in my nature as much as I, I admired and as important as it was, you know? So mm-hmm. I think it's just like, it's a puzzle that needs to, you know, fit together. So if policy is your thing, like we need that, you know, if running a business is your thing, we need that. If activism is your thing, like we need that. So, um, well, I think this is a good moment to take a short break and uh, we'll be right back. Here at Firestarter Interactive, we're proud members of the 1% for the Planet network of businesses, having made the commitment to donate 1% of annual revenue to environmental causes. So for every dollar that we earn, one cent goes back to planet Earth and our mission to make the world a greener, healthier place for our generation and for future generations. That's $1 of every $100, $10 of every 1000 It may not sound like a lot, but every dollar adds up. And collectively, we can and are making a huge impact. With 1% for the Planet members giving back more than $280 million and counting to the environment. Visit 1%fortheplanet.org. That's 1% for the Planet, all spelled out, to learn more. We hope you'll join us. And we're back. So uh, we're going to switch gears a little bit and dig a little bit deeper into your personal experience as an entrepreneur. Um, you know, how do you relate to this idea of connecting with your why and living your purpose? Does that resonate with you? And, you know, how do you relate with the pathway that you're on? Sure. It, it, it resonates uh, for sure. I think it's true for all kinds of entrepreneurial ventures, but um it's, it's very difficult. It's been a very difficult road, um, very stressful, uh, lots of setbacks. And I think the, the purpose element of the work and of the path allows you to continue, um, despite those things. So I I don't know. I don't, I don't think I overthink the purpose element too much on a day-to-day basis, but I, I, I do think that I would have given up a long time ago had it, had it not been for, um, yeah, the belief that what I'm doing is, is important that I, and, and that I, that I really do need to continue doing it and I do need to make progress and I do need to make it grow. Um, and that the growth I can, I can make happen here at Wavelength matters. So, um, 
yeah, it's, it's, it's integral. If, if for no other reason that it's just is something just that keeps pushing you uh, that, that step forward, even when it's really uncomfortable. Definitely. Um, have you noticed any changes in yourself, you know, from the time that you were in, you know, these kind of more traditional roles working with, you know, larger companies, you know, whether it's in your routines, your leadership, your relationship with money, just, you know, anything since you launched your own venture? I think the, I think the biggest change uh, in me since I started this is, is probably tolerance for risk. So, um, I'm, I think I'm a pretty generally risk averse person and, and that's part of why I would consider myself a reluctant entrepreneur because it's just very risky in so many ways. Um, so it doesn't seem like a natural fit for rich risk averse person. And so, but I think having done this now for a long time and, um, having experienced so many of these small failures that are, um, part of the path that, you know, your fear of failure declines and along with that, your tolerance for risk goes up. Um, and so my, my willingness to take on, for example, projects that are really complex and maybe aren't something that I've ever done before or anybody within my organization has done, done before. Um, I, I'm just, I'm just less concerned about the fact that, that it might fail, it, you know, than, than I was previously. My tolerance for risk has gone up. Um, I think, uh, if, if something else has changed, it would be that I, I've, I've allowed myself to, to enjoy the physical element of what we do here. So, you know, you mentioned that all my roles previously had been basically these traditional finance analyst investor type roles, sitting in a computer, spreadsheets, presentations, things like that. Um, and, and then a hard pivot to being on a ladder all the time, which I'm on a ladder a lot less now than I used to be, but I'm still on job sites all the time. Um, still dealing with electricians and, and, and the, the very physical nature of lighting implementation. And, and I love that. Um, and I don't think I've sort of allowed myself to, um, to feel that way during, during my, the previous iteration of my career, you know, was, I, just, I, I felt like, okay, the, the way that work it, the way that work happens is you sit at a desk and you do a thing. That's how that's, that's work. Um, but it's not, that didn't really, that really wasn't who I am. And so, um, kind of acknowledging that and, and letting that, that be part of my day to day has been, um, a positive change. Well, you, you found your way, you know, to kind of get on the front lines physically, actually, you know, concretely moving this thing forward, you know, light bulb by light bulb mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of just mm-hmm. that, a few steps removed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, um, yes, I have small children and, um, sort of for simplicity, but also just because they enjoy it. They, they, they just think that I change light bulbs for a living. That's, that is the entirety of uh, what they understand me to do. And so um, sometimes it's like, oh, what'd you do today? I was like, oh, I was on a job site. They're like, are you changing light bulbs? I was like, yes, we were changing lots of light bulbs. Changing light bulbs, making the world a better place. <laughs> um, are there you know particular mindsets or philosophies that you bring to like life and work that you, you know, credit with your success and kind of ability to be on this pathway? I, th- I think I, I think I mentioned something we, we touched on earlier, which is just this idea of continuing. So I think maybe a fancier word would be perseverance. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't, I just think, of, I think of it as continuing. So I, when it comes to um, accomplishing big things or complicated things, there, there is, there is no, um, substitute for just, just keeping going. Um, because things are often much more difficult than you expect, expect. And if you enter into a big challenge, hoping it to resolve quickly or having a really concrete idea of how long it's going to take you, um, it's unlikely that it will end well for you. Whereas if, if you are willing to just continue, um, then, then it will. And so, um, that's something that I've found with this venture is that it takes a long time to, to build and to build on itself. But, but if you, if you can just continue, um, then you'll, then you'll be there when it works. And then, and, and if you don't, then obviously, you know, um, these things can take a long time. And, um, so yeah, that, that, I would say that's, that's the thing that I focus on. Um, you know, each day is just like 
putting one more one more brick on the stack and hoping to be in a good place at some point in the future. Well, I think that's where, you know, the purpose and really caring about what you're doing and, and kind of the larger mission of it really comes in to like give you both that stick to itness and also just the patience, you know, to maybe day by day, brick, brick by brick, like not know how it all fits together, but you know, you're kind of moving things in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, is there anything that you know to be true and important now that, you know, maybe when you were younger or graduating from college, you know, that you wish you'd known? <laughs> I, I, I think it, it, well, yeah, I just being who you are and that's, and that's trite, but that's actually, it's actually really hard, uh, to do, uh, to, to know what, what matters to you professionally? I mean, it's hard to know that. It's certainly hard to know that coming out of school because you just haven't been a proper professional. I mean, I had I had work experience like a lot of people have um, before graduating college, but nothing nothing that like sort of su- sustained my existence for a really long period of time. And and when you go into the professional world, you do need to sustain your existence for a long period of time. A lot of things change in terms of your relationship to your work. Um, and, and, uh, being able to align that with, with who you are and what matters to you, um, as opposed to say what you thought would matter back when you were in school or what you think your parents think matters or what your friends think matters. It's, it, so it, it takes, it, it takes a lot of time, um, or can take a lot of time to, to, to match those things up. It, t- it took me a lot of time. I don't, you know, I don't know if I would say it necessarily took me too much or too little, but it, you know, it takes each individual, however long it takes them. But I think if, um, coming out of school, maybe if, uh, there'd been a moment where I just said, you know what, I might actually not know um, who I am in terms of what makes sense professionally. And I, I need to keep that question in mind and really be curious about, um, what that might mean for me. You know, maybe I would have landed in this kind of, a um, a role earlier, but, you know, got to walk your own path. And that's, that's what I did. Yeah, definitely. Well, that kind of, you know, touches on like my next thought question, which is just like, what advice would you have, you know, for, you know, the, the person coming out of Middlebury or any other college, you know, kind of wanting to do something meaningful, impactful, but just like not sure where to start, or maybe someone who's, you know, already on a career path, but seeking, you know, kind of more meaning and impact, you know, just explore. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I, Explorations is yeah hugely important. I, I I would say the one thing that's been successful for for me anyway. So you know that's as far as I can go as my own experience is is setting a personal mission that um, is is narrow enough that it's meaningful but broad enough that you can stick to it a hundred percent. So the one I set for myself, um, uh, you know, at some point after graduating college was. I wanted to be part of accelerating a transition to a new energy infrastructure. And that's like pretty broad um, is the reality of it. There are a lot of things within that. There's a lot of things you could do within that. And I explored a bunch of them. You know, that's kind of what I was doing when I was going from the bank to the research firm to the investment thing um, to finally, to finally this was, you know, setting, basically setting yourself a mission that is what matters to you. Um, and feeling like, okay, I'm just going to explore within that, within that realm, um, what really works for me personally, but making sure that you, when you set your mission, um, that you, that, that it, that it doesn't, you don't need to compromise it at all so that it's broad enough that it's, um, you, you don't have to feel like there's one specific job that is the one specific thing. And, and only that really makes sense. It's, it's, it's gotta be broader than that so that you can you can pivot in because, you know, life will demand it of you and the marketplace will demand it of you and um, other things are out there and you just have to be able to, you know, so that's, that's what I would say to a young person is just figure out what you really care about, um, define that mission, but in such a way that there is, there's room for you to, um, to wind a path. I think that's really good advice and I've never thought about it in that way, but I think kind of similarly, I, I had this vague sense of, you know, one could call it a mission, you know, of what I wanted to do. It was, you know, kind of telling, capturing and telling stories about the world around me, you know, that ultimately, you know, 
made a positive difference, you know, and I think for the past 10 plus years, you know, I've kind of been winding that path with a lot of different iterations, but it does kind of fit within that framework. So I love that idea of, you know, I think you can also think of, you know, connecting with your why and your purpose, you know, as defining that mission, but not that it has to be so narrow. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. I mean, right. Life is very complicated and, young people will discover that in their own, in their own time. Um, so you need to, you need to leave your room, leave yourself room for flexibility. I think that's really important, but at at the same time, you want to be, um, motivated by something bigger than just yourself and, um, finding that and maintaining flexibility important. Definitely. So back to wavelength, you know, what's on the horizon for the company and what are you excited about? Um, Excited about the way that it's going. Uh, we've been we've been growing really quickly uh, these last twenty four months, and um, you know the team is doing really well. And uh, I'm excited to continue to hire good people and work with good people. There are um, billions of square feet of space in New York City alone, uh, which is why we're we're not trying to expand geographically. New York is just such a big place in terms of the built environment um, that. Yeah, there really is just a ton of work to do. So I'm excited to continue to prove um, the wavelength model of doing things to the marketplace, you know, show that um, all these like entrenched lighting industry groups are not necessarily the best suited to make the LED transition as as efficient and as cost effective as possible. Um, And so really we've just got our, heads down, focused on exactly what we've been doing, just doing it really well and, and getting bigger at it. That's awesome. And, you know, looking out to the next decade and beyond, you know, what are your hopes for how we inhabit this planet, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. I hope we, yes. I hope we continue um, to inhabit it. Well, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm relatively, yeah, I'm pretty optimistic about the, about the path that we're on. I think things are changing very quickly. Obviously there's a ton of, a ton of work to do. And there's also a ton of uncertainty, even the, the smartest people out there acknowledge like a pretty wide, um, degree of possible outcomes from a, from a climate perspective, for example. But yeah, as I mentioned, I have kids. Um, and so that's, that's made acute my, um, I don't, I don't want to say nervousness. It's too negative a word made, made really acute my awareness of the situation. And, um, yeah, I really, I really hope that we, that we, that we take care of the energy picture and the carbon picture, but in doing so are also conscious of habitat preservation and, and things like that. I mean, I think that, that, um, yeah, that like the more I experience the natural world, the more it feels like a um, single coherent system, really worth really worth caring for. Um, so I'm hopeful that in several decades' time, I can I can sit with my my sons and look back on having done a lot of work to help solve the problem. And um, while there certainly will be will be climate issues, hopefully they've um, I don't know they're kept within. The, the bounds of reasonableness. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a big question, Willa. It is. Um, but that, that's, My dog uh, is getting very excited about it in the background. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, to, to kind of bring it, but I think it comes back to like needing to break it down to, to like concrete, actionable steps, no yeah. matter how small they are, because if we get totally overwhelmed by the massive challenge, then you know, there's, we're just going to be stuck in this kind of place of inaction. So, you know, that Mm -hmm. we do, you know, are there, do you have any kind of tips or advice for our listeners about kind of like small steps that they can, you know, make in their own, you know, houses, businesses, you know, to with LED light Uh, and and kind of up. Yeah, they can, certainly they can change the light bulb. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's, that's part of what attracted me to it was that I, you know, I know any, every light bulb I change is just, it's just one little set of watts that is being um, reduced. So yeah, I mean, certainly change your lights to LEDs. Um, they're available at 
everywhere. Um, hardware stores, Amazon. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, ch- changing lights is, is a good thing to do, but but any any equivalent thing um, that that you can do, um, I think is I think is worthwhile. And then and then yeah, finding a finding a profession where you feel like you can you can make the impact you want, um, however however small, and just um, really really just keep pushing and and. Just do do as do as best you can. Yeah, that's great. Before we sign off, are there any you know final reflections you'd like to share with our listeners about business, LED lighting, life? Be patient. Be creative. Um, you know, uh, and and I and I think I think the, the earlier you can see how how we're all involved uh, in the same challenge, the better, you know, like I mentioned, activists, policy people and, and business people. I think I, I probably used to think of them as really different, different breeds, um, each of the three, but the, the more I'm involved in the system, the more I, I realize we're all pretty well connected. So, um, you know, connect, connect to people. And, and that's, that's obviously what you're doing with your, um, your efforts here. And I think that's, uh, pretty awesome. Well, we all have our different pathways in and are, you know, working with the same mission. So, um, well, thank you, Michael. This has been uh, an illuminating conversation, if I may. <laughs> and I really appreciate your taking the time. Um, how can our listeners connect with you and learn more about all the great work under underway at Wavelength Lighting? Um. Yeah, well, th- thank you for having me. Uh, it's been great being here. Uh, we, you know, we have a website, wavelengthlighting.com, that that keeps everything pretty well updated. Um, you, you go to the website, you're, you, you will at some stage be prompted uh, to sign up for our newsletter, which, um, yeah, we take, a, we take pretty great pride in putting interesting lighting content out there, uh, lighting and policy content out there every, every month. Um, New York City focus, so, you know, t- take that as it is, but, um, we do try to keep people informed on what we're doing and, um, ways to get involved in improving the energy consumption of the built environment and things like that. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's where we are. Awesome. Well, look forward to watching the next chapters unfold and just thanks for all the great work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for sharing another episode of the Firestarter podcast, people, ideas, and conversations that move us forward. If you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to the podcast, find show notes, as well as the video of today's show at firestarterix.com slash podcast. That's firestarterix.com slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Willa Kammerer, that's K-A-M-M-E-R-E-R, and at firestarterix, and I'm Willa Kammerer on LinkedIn. This is the Firestarter Podcast. I'm your host, Willa Kammerer, and I can't wait to share our next conversation. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well, and let's stay busy making the world a better place.